Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Economics. I am your host, Talia Murdoch, and would like to acknowledge that we are on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people, including the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh Nations, where I live and where this podcast is recorded. In this episode, I am bringing you an interview with Anise Shaw. She is part of the Art Babbitt's Appreciation Society, the general director, working towards unionisation of the Vancouver animation industry. It was a fascinating conversation. I learned a lot and I hope you all enjoy it. Problem. Oh, should I wear headphones? Um, no, we probably don't need to. Okay. Usually that's just like... If I have to listen to like other things? Yeah. Yeah. Usually it stops people from like banging on the table and stuff, but I don't think it's going to be that uh, kind of conversation because yeah, when yeah, we yeah. stream, we're playing a game. So yeah. <laughs> it's like... so if they can hear the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the distortions. Totally. Hi. Welcome to the network. Thank you so much for coming. My pleasure. So we're talking today about unions, um, specifically for the animation industry, Mm -hmm. because you're quite involved with that. So to get started, I was hoping that you could tell us about your journey in the industry and what kind of led you to the like Art Babbitt's Appreciation Society. Of course. Um, So I uh, started out as a visual artist and a comic Mm -hmm. artist and eventually found myself in animation school. in the duration of my studies. And uh, uh, out of animation school, I got into the industry. I started out as a background artist and background painter, and then ended up in storyboarding. And after a number of years, I kind of looked around and was like, uh, I really don't like this industry. It's, uh, you get kind of sucked into it very unwittingly. And then your life kind of starts to feel like it's falling apart and you look around mm. and you're like, what am I doing wrong? And for me, I, I looked at the everything that was happening around me and I was all like, oh, it's not me. <laughs> and so I that's when I started making steps towards starting a group uh, for unionization. And shortly after that, I left the industry. Um, so I, I'm not currently uh, yeah. working in the industry, which works out nicely because I can come and have conversations with people such as yourself and I don't have to worry about uh, my employment situation being suddenly threatened. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was kind of wondering about that actually, like if, um, because Joe recommended you to me and I was thinking like, I wonder if she works, if she's working in animation, like this is super brave. Yeah. Like how is that even fitting in? But yeah, and there are definitely people in, Abas uh, in our society that, you know, are still working in the industry and they still, you know, move forward and try to help out with unionization as much as possible. And they definitely are very brave. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And so this is just the role that I can do and come, you know, to come forward and be a bit of a, a public face to be able to have honest conversations where there's a name attached so it doesn't feel like everything's coming from an anonymous source all the time. Yeah. Because that can feel very alienating sometimes, especially as we're trying to reach out to other workers. Yeah. So what exactly is your role then in the in the movement? Uh, so I'm one of the founders of the Art Babbitt Appreciation Society. Oh, cool. So we were there at the very beginning. And uh, now I'm uh, a general director uh, because we incorporated as a nonprofit society. So that's my my role now. Okay, cool. Awesome. And do you generally like just let people come to you or do you do 
stuff like going to certain companies or are you just sort of like there in the background? I mean, I definitely put myself out there, mm-hmm. like, you know, as visible as as I can and definitely put the group out there as, visi- as visible as it can be. Uh, but we don't necessarily like go in and, you know, talk to like kind of corner people or talk to them. That's not generally... Yeah the way that goes, but uh, we do get a lot of people coming to us. So uh, we put ourselves out there as big as we can, and then people can feel safe to come forward and have a a conversation with us and, you know, dip their their toe in and see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I guess, so you said you worked in the industry Mm -hmm. before, um, and it was not the best experience. Was there anything specifically that you can talk about that sort of drove you to want to do this? Yeah, the culture of the industry is quite toxic in Vancouver. We have a lot of work and yes. not a lot of artists. Uh, we're always in demand, but the way that our industry is set up is very short contracts. You're never quite sure if you're going to continue to work at that studio at the end of the contract. Uh, It feels like you're constantly looking for work all the time. And then that kind of foundation leads to a number of other very poor practices that can be leveraged through that. So the thing that really kind of snapped me out of it was uh, having quite an abusive supervisor. Yeah. um, And realizing that there was no protection from that and that all I had to do was have like a bad manager, a bad supervisor, and then I would end up working, you know, 70, 80 hours a week, or, uh, you know, just feel terrible all the time. And I found myself putting up with it. Because I if I didn't put up with it, then was I going to have a job in six months? If I didn't, you know, kind of be quiet and grin and bear it, you know, was I going to be asked back and, you know, t- to be able to have stable employment? And so because that's the prime primary thing that I'm worrying about, I started finding myself really like kind of giving more and more mm-hmm. and more and more until I didn't really recognize where I was anymore. Yeah, it definitely sounds like, um, so we've had quite a few animators through here to do our stream um, that we've met through Joe mostly and sounds like it can be of like a very hard industry to be in like really long hours and not necessarily Mm -hmm. the like compensation or reward you should be getting for that yeah definitely not uh there's also not a lot of increase in wage yes even between positions in the hierarchy so you know we have you kind of start off as a as a general artist or an entry-level artist and then you can move up through the chain, you know, into supervision and directing and things like that. And even the wage difference between just entering into the industry and eventually, you know, getting into those upper hierarchies, it's not that much different. Oh, like, really? yeah, sometimes supervisors are only making like $100 more a week or $50 really? more a week than the people Jeez. who are working under them. Yeah. It's kind of like a bit of a shit rose down the hill. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and oftentimes, because wages don't tend to increase in our industry, um, people end up looking to get promoted in order to increase their wage. And they often try and get themselves promoted into positions that they may not have Uh, the skills for yet or they might be managerial positions and they're much 
you know, more comfortable as an artist and not necessarily managing people, but because it's the only way that they can afford their career, (laughs) they end up putting themselves in positions that they don't necessarily want or like because it's the only way they can get more money. Yeah. And are those, so I imagine when you're on short-term contracts, you're not getting any benefits or anything? We do have some benefits. So the industry in Vancouver over time has been trying to stabilize itself. We can see them trying to do it by slowly offering more benefits and, you know, keeping employees around longer and things like that. Um, But we feel like, you know, from our perspective, they're doing it in a way that is not collaborative enough with the employees underneath them. Yeah. uh, Because we have resources as well, you know, like if we unionize, we can, we'll have uh, benefits that can travel with us that uh, employers would not have to manage or deal with. So, but they know that we want them. So slowly over the years, they have been adding certain things. So we do have at some studios, RRSP matching uh, or limited uh, extended healthcare plans. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that as soon as we leave that studio, or move around, we're dealing with blackout periods, um, some, they have inconsistent coverage, yeah. um, some studios have better coverage than others, and so if you're on like a nine-month contract, and you move to another studio, and then there's a three-month blackout period on your healthcare, you're really only going to be having extended healthcare for about six months of your contract, and then you're back on blackout again, so it can, it's, y- Yes and no. We do have some benefits, but they're clearly not adequate and they're not doing what they need to do. Yeah, um, it's terrible. So I guess I am also curious, like, do... How am I going to ask this question? So you work for a studio which might be producing a show. Mm -hmm. Are the shows, are animated shows, like, quite profitable that they could afford to pay the workers more fairly because I don't actually know absolutely what their margins are like well right. to give you an idea Disney is one of the top yeah, okay. four <laughs> of course uh, corporation media corporations in the world yeah uh you know they make billions of dollars every year and you know off of not only their animated properties but you know all sorts of like to- toys merchandise, merchandising Star Wars etc <laughs> um I, that's a really good question because I think that there's a bit of a misunderstanding of the Vancouver animation industry, you know, I may go and work for a studio like DHX or Atomic, uh, but they are getting their money from much larger clients. Yeah. So the vast majority of work done out of Canada is client work. And our studio's clients are huge companies with just endless amounts of money. Yeah. And they have kind of conned this whole city into infighting. Uh, so the studios yeah. start this race to the bottom. And uh, what we're hoping to do is, uh, given that negotiating style that they're in, we want to have a union to create the floor and basically say, fine, you guys can race to the bottom with your contracts and do all that stuff with Disney or uh, DreamWorks or Hasbro or whoever, but you cannot negotiate below this level. Yeah right? This is the level that we need to live. And so if you can get more than that, great, go for it. Disney can afford it, but you can't get less than this. And so that's just honestly the whole goal of this movement in a nutshell is to, to make sure that we don't dig ourselves so deep that we can't get out again. Yeah. That there's like just a base wedge at the minimum. Um, And it's interesting because like, 
it makes the work better because people are happier. Yes. And if you don't have added stresses, like anywhere, if you're making minimum wage or, you know, subpar wages, yeah, you don't have to worry about, do I need to get another job or can I do X, Y, Z? And then your work suffers. So you actually are like able to be more creative. And We completely agree. Yeah. Like we think that the uh, LA local of IATSE has, oh, has a, uh, you know, a significant impact on the fact that the, the animation workers there have more relaxed schedules. They're able to do more, t- uh, you know, work on the side. They're able to develop themselves better as artists. They also, because they have uh, a union agreement and they have great employment, they attract talent from around the world. Yeah, exactly. Um, because they know that, hey, if I get into CalArts or, you know, I get into a Disney summer internship program or whatever, this isn't me just working on children's cartoons for, you know, the late night slot on, you know, some treehouse television network or whatever, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to be making something that's going to be up on the big screen. And not only that, but I'm going to end up making, you know, most likely around a hundred thousand a year or more, right? Like yeah. the people are pretty well paid in, in LA. The board rates, for example, compared to my board rate is, was almost double. That's if you're like sitting on a board. No, 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 no. That's like uh, if you're a storyboard artist. Oh, story. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I apologize <laughs> like if I use it. any. Uh, there's a lot of animation yeah, yeah. Lingo, lingo, so totally. St- okay, so uh, twice as much. Yeah, sometimes, twice and twice. of course, like you know, our union would not be able to provide that right away because the reason why LA has that is because they built that over seventy years of unionization, yeah, okay. right? So they have baked into their agreements a wage increase every year for 70 years, that's of course going to end up being a, a really nice, solid, livable wage. And you're always going to keep up with inflation. Wages will not stagnate, right? They will yeah. keep going with living costs. And so people are able to be, you're right, more stable. And then they become better artists. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's yeah. just, it's insane. Um uh, so compared to, do you, do you work with IATSE yes. much? Yeah. yeah. So we just this summer signed a strategic alliance with IATSE. Oh, cool. So what this was, was a, you know, a formalization of our, our relationship. We are working together entirely, uh, uh, through this next leg of our yeah. process. Um, and they, and so they, come to us, uh, because we help them understand our industry specific to Vancouver and other areas of Canada, as well as to uh, have a solid voice to be able to say, this is, if, you, if you're going to represent us as our union, we need these things. Yeah. And they have been supportive and receptive. They really understand the entertainment industry. I'm like, <laughs> I wasn't like a labor organizer before this, you yeah. know, I, I or, or I didn't do a lot of labor stuff. I have a little bit of experience, but... You know, I haven't gone and tried to unionize an entire industry or anything yeah. like that. And so uh, I don't know a lot of the intricacies of uh, Doing that. of the inside of the labor movement, for yeah. example. Um, and apparently, yeah, what union you go with can be quite a big deal. And so when we found that out through the process of just talking to people and stuff like that, we decided to really put together like a pros and a cons list between all the different unions that could represent us. Oh, cool. And IATSE came out on top. Yeah. They represent entertainment all across the world. Uh, they already do live action in Vancouver. They have the Animation Guild in LA. 
And uh, so we just need to be here to help them understand the you know uniqueness of the Vancouver industry. Yeah, what you need. Yeah. At this moment and yeah. moving forward, that's really awesome. Um, was that a lengthy process when you were just if someone, for example, was wanting to? <coughs> sorry, try and. That's okay. Okay, go ahead. That's, that's why this isn't live. Um, <laughs> if someone was wanting to try and unionize their industry. Mm-hmm. Did you do a lot of collaboration when you were doing those pros and cons flips? Yes, yeah. Like you worked so, with people who were currently working as animators. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it's like yes. really involved. Yeah. So it, you know, we, uh, you know, consulted as much as we could, collaborated as much as we could um, with the people who were comfortable talking with us. Yeah. Right. So that's that's again another issue is that. You know, I would love to go and like survey the whole industry, but it's it's simply not possible. So I'm kind of going out there and saying, here's what I have to offer. This is your survey. You yeah. can, you know, join in and, and that's a yes or not. And that's a no. And if this movement starts to falter or fail, then I have my answer, right? I wouldn't continue to do this year in, year out if it wasn't consistently growing, if people weren't satisfied and if, you know, this collaboration wasn't working. Sure. Yeah. How many years have you been doing it? Three. Three. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A little over three years. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So we started in 2016, just yeah. after the sausage party controversy. Um, what was that? Like, I know the movie was controversial. Yeah. Well, the movie. <laughs> I'm it, sure that yeah. the making of it was. <laughs> the whole package yeah, was very controversial. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I love, uh, that's uh, absol- where we started. Um, we, uh, so I had been talking with different union representatives before sausage, the Sausage Party um, uh, controversy broke. But after that controversy broke, it really forced us into this idea that we might need to tackle this industry-wide rather than workplace by workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what they, what happened with Sausage Party was it was being animated at a studio in town called Nitrogen Studios. And, uh, you know, at a certain point in the pr- production, a number of animators wrote a letter um, to management and to the production company Annapurna uh, expressing a lot of dissatisfaction uh, with their extensive overtime. They were working like tons and tons of overtime and not getting paid for it. And the letter reached Annapurna and Annapurna came back to Nitrogen, uh, as far as I understand, and said, okay, we need to make sure these people are paid properly. You know, like they, they need to be paid legally. And after that, people were supposedly paid some overtime. I'm not sure if it was everybody. I'm not sure how that worked, but apparently it did change some things. However, after the movie came out, the direct or sorry, the um, uh, studio head of Nitrogen went into the media and basically bragged about how cheap he got the movie done and how great it looked. And, oh my you know, God. He, did, he did that executive thing where he goes out and he thinks he's talking to other executives. Yes. And then, you know, the, the regular pe- everyone else who is not, you know, one of the like, you know, 200 executives out there is like, oh, my God, what is that's horrifying. Yeah. And so in the comments section of, you know, uh, it, it, on Cartoon Brew, uh, a number of animators came out and was just like, no, this production was 
terrible. We didn't get paid overtime. There's a reason why he could do this so cheap. And here's our evidence and yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it, and the, the news exploded. And so we went out and we said, okay, great. In terms of like, we can talk, we have a, something to talk about. It's horrifying. We need to have a conversation. And so um, we started, you know, talking to all of our friends and coworkers and started having slightly larger meetings. And then eventually I kind of was getting frustrated with the pace because I was very worried about, you know, every everyone's constantly suffering like right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, just <laughs> fucking do it. I just want to do something. Yeah, and like, so the, 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 the just do something ended up being posters. Cool. So we made just nothing on it. It was just like, you know, Animation can't exist without us. It yep. was super plain. It had like our um, uh, animation peg bar holes in the side to just be like a little, hey, we're actually animators. And all it had was a hashtag, which was like, we are animation. We had we didn't put our, a name of an organization on it. We didn't have a website. There was nothing. It was just, this is really messed up, guys. Yeah. Like, I just want to, I just need to say that. Yeah. And all over the city. <laughs> And then the response was so overwhelmingly excited and uh, I wouldn't say positive. It was more like people were waiting for it to kind of just blow over and continue and life was just going to go on as usual. But then something else happened and people were like, oh my God, something else happened. And because it was speaking directly to animators in the public, they, you know, it was all over social media and we got, ended up getting you know, kind of tracked down by the press and stuff cool. like that. And so we started to really formalize our organization and say, okay, you know, the response here is is fantastic. We need to continue to take steps forward and, and make this a reality. And so that's when we started hosting town halls and, yep. uh, uh, you know, studio meetings and stuff like that. It's really impressive how something so simple can just was so like powerful yeah I think know? that people really underestimate the ability or I think they really under underestimate their ability to just change things by speaking up yeah you know like and it doesn't even have to be in a scary or threatening way it can be in a way of you know just putting up anonymous posters yeah because now all of a sudden we're broken out of our little bubbles and and we're all looking around at each other and we're saying, wait a second, you're here, you're here, you're here. We all have a, a bunch of agreement on these things yep. and we had no idea. Yeah. Um, now I know what I did unintentionally was something called agitation. Okay. I agitated uh, uh, the industry by... Uh, and agitation always comes off as this very negative term. But what it actually is, is just shaking something to have new things bump into each other. Right. If you think about like agitating a, a, a bottle of juice that has separated, when you agitate it, it's to have everything kind of mixed together. Mm. And so that's kind of what I realized we had done is that by agitating, we had mixed together groups that had not talked to each other yet or never talked to each other or had talked to each other at one point, but are not talking to each other now. And it broke open all of these barriers and these conversations started happening. And uh, I'm so glad that we did that. It just late yeah. at night one night, 
completely spur the moment putting up those posters yeah that's really cool and I guess because no one like owned it or anything it wasn't coming from a certain studio or a certain person it was just um I've been really enjoying seeing all of the like IWW posters around town Mm -hmm. and it just says your boss doesn't no your boss needs you you don't need them yeah yeah I I love it's it I think that you know we need to use these spaces yeah that we have access to to speak because other spaces have been denied to us we've been denied traditional media we've been denied uh you know certain types of authority because we are working class people Mm -hmm. because we uh we do not fit into this comfortable capitalist framework of yes we're going to just keep toiling so that this person can keep making profit yeah to be a little worker bee and so it's just it's it's been such a fascinating experience uh because not i'm not always like necessarily strategizing that right like sometimes it's by feel and i think that that's just very cultural right like it's because i'm part of I think that's why people see it as authentic is because it's coming from inside the industry culture yeah. as opposed to from an outside source. And you're also doing something that has been, there has been so much like anti-union propaganda over the past few decades. Oh, so definitely. it's just somehow, you know, people have just been convinced to like vote against their own best interests and have this more conservative capitalist mindset when it comes to work. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, so difficult to push back against that and then actually get people excited and sort of, like, almost wake them up to yeah, definitely. how it's not fair. And that's a great point, too, because that was the next thing that we hit up against was just the sheer level of misinformation about what unions were yeah. and what they could do. We had a lot of early conversations with people where they knew someone who was in, you know, the teachers' union or the Teamsters or was a longshoreman, and they would talk about how they didn't want those complications in animation. And we had to explain, no, 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 we're going with an entertainment union. We don't have seniority. We don't have yeah. certain things because the the whole collective agreement and, and IATSE itself structures its, itself to be adaptable to the entertainment industry. And so when we hit that wall, we're like, oh, what are we going to do? Like, we can't build this if we're constantly answering the same questions over and over and over again. And then we moved in. So we moved into a phase of education. And that's what a lot of the town halls were, website, Twitter. um, You know, for a while we were putting up educational little, like, uh, images that would just have really quick, easy to digest facts about unions. Um, I would go, I've done, uh, uh, you know, lectures and talks in, in universities with cool. university students who are going into the industry to help teach them about labor history and why, you know, the concept of a union in animation is, first of all, not going to destroy our industry. <laughs> Second of all, completely in line with the history of our industry. And thirdly, is something that will work with our industry to make it better. And, uh, you know, going forward and giving that information became a, basically the bulk of, of what we did for the, for 
the last three years. And so we've reached a level of critical mass now and education now that we're able to move into the next phase of, of organizing. It's a really exciting time. Yeah, it yeah. sounds really exciting. So what are you up to at the moment? Are you organizing anyone in particular? Like are you talking to a certain Well, we have or? had conversations with management at different, you know, studios. Um I don't want to talk too much about yeah, that's, that that's yet, fine. Uh, but it, you know they seem very positive. Uh, okay. You know, if at the pace of the of what I like to think of as executive pace, which is sometimes very slow. Yes. Um, <laughs> so there have been some positive responses throughout the industry, um, and then we're moving more towards educating people. Uh, in a more complete way of, of, of organizing in a union. So now, before it was about, you know, what a union is, what it can do, answering questions about unions, basically breaking down the misinformation and, and building up, you know, truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second step is now, okay, how do we do this logistically, right? We all agree because we've all gone through this education, we all agree, yes, this can work. But now, how do we make that a reality? And so that's what these next steps are about, is how, you know, the strategy on how that is going to work. So actually, like, moving into more of a, like, negotiation phase, or actually just creating a union in general first, and then... Well, doing it, the contracts and it will depend yeah yeah a, there are a lot of happens. factors that will change change things we're really hoping that you know some really forward thinking and progressive studios will come forward and um want to negotiate a voluntary recognition agreement which is really common in and yeah. uh the entertainment industry uh for there not even to have to be a, a traditional certification or card drive and you know considering that the rest of the entertainment industry is unionized. We yeah. F- we, yeah, we feel like that, that it would be proper to have these conversations in mm-hmm. you know, a, a way that they can acknowledge, yes, the entire industry is unionized. We're kind of the last jump on that train. Maybe it's time we take a step forward and do that. And we can say, great, we're here. Let's have a conversation. Yep. And that, I mean, that's our ideal way of of moving forward because we need we need to work together yeah right we're not here to like destroy our studios or anything no. like that we're here to just make sure that we can be heard you know mm-hmm. it feels like they try to listen but they're not quite getting it they're stuck in their own bubble they yeah. need something with authority behind it yeah. that they can't ignore because otherwise the old hierarchies just kind of reassert themselves, right? Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't ever really stick. Yeah, it never yeah. sticks. And that's that's the problem. And that's what we talk about a lot in our organization is that, you know, they can change now and give us, you know, overtime pay and better benefits and all that. But what's going to happen when there's no more pressure? What's yeah, going to exactly. happen when the economy tanks? Yep. You know, what's going to happen when it comes to their profits versus our lives? And we know the answer to that. The mm-hmm. answer to that is they're going to go for their profits. Yeah. And so we need to be there to be like, ah, you can't do that. <laughs> you cannot do that. Yeah. Or we're, taking that, that like... we're taking that off the table, right? Yeah. Like you have to prioritize us because we have authority now. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, even when that like first agreement that you come to expires, like yeah, they could easily just get rid of it if there was no one there. Exactly advocating. Um, and how it it's it's really helpful that you have an organization doing it and then also you have other unions to piggyback on yes like i know that's a huge advantage um we have a lot like nurses piggyback off what did the doctors get this year okay well we want that yeah um absolutely yeah we have a lot of solidarity from the different locals in uh for sure they're like the animation guild has been so fantastic throughout this this process uh we even started out with um uh, Steve Kaplan, who is now at the Animation Guild, he was an international representative at the time, and he would fly up from L.A. and you know just you know he when he came into a room and he could tell a story about things that happened in L.A. It was like an awakening for Vancouver artists because they were hearing it like how it was like to work in L.A. from the ground, but from the workers' perspective. Yeah. Whereas the vast majority of the time, they seem to hear it from the employer's perspective because the employers are trying to, like, recruit them or, like, Mm -hmm. build up their image as employers and stuff like that. So it was really empowering to hear those stories of him, you know, walking on set and saying, like, look, we're not going to come back from lunch until you sign the collective agreement and da 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 And, and then realizing that the workers really cared about that, right? Yeah. Like, they actually wanted the Animation Guild there all the time. <laughs> and uh, 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 so having that strong relationship with our, you know, local down south uh, has, was something that really, really, really helped us move forward with, with IATSE and feel really comfortable with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And... There are more workers than employers. Mm-hmm. Power in numbers. Exactly. It's going to like overcome the fear. Exactly. We used to, uh, when I was in the student movement, we would strengthen numbers. Oh, yeah. Always strengthen oh, yeah. numbers. Got it all on my t-shirt. Yes. Like, absolutely. Um, and I think that that's something that animators in Vancouver don't quite understand. Yeah. Or didn't quite understand. Then they're starting to very much wake up to it. And that's why we can get to this this part of the process. Yeah. It's so. very exciting. It is. Um, so before we wrap up, what would be your advice to someone who wants to do this for their workplace or industry? Their workplace or industry? Well, you have to definitely um, know your industry. So mm-hmm. if you are at a particular workplace that you you know, want unionized, you have to really look at the different factors first. So for us, it was like precarious employment, da 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 And we just kind of like wrote it down. Yeah. Right? And then through that, I was able to develop a, a different strategies uh, to deal with that. So if you're in like a very typical brick and mortar type um, uh, workplace where you just want to unionize like, you know, your restaurant or whatever, uh, the first steps is talking to coworkers uh, about shared issues. Uh, don't even say the union word at this point. Just see what whether or not the issues you're having are the same as everyone else. And then go start talking to some union uh, reps. You know, go, go talk to the different unions that you have seen in your industry. Mm-hmm. See what their advice is. See what they have to offer. And see what support they can offer you. And then continue those conversations and continue making those decisions. You have to be prepared for a lot of setbacks at the beginning, definitely. Um, A lot of people are going to seem like they're not on board, but it's not necessarily that they're not on board. They're just a little scared at the beginning. Yeah. 
And so what they really need to see from you, if they're kind of like, oh, I don't know, a union might be kind of like, what if we all get fired or whatever, okay? You walk away from that conversation, you go back and you keep doing the work. You keep talking to people, you keep talking about the issues, you keep trying to make those connections because what they need to see from you is consistency and that you're not going away and that this conversation is gonna happen. And then once you do that, you can start to build trust, you know, and, mm -hmm. and start to educate and maybe break down some misinformation about unions and stuff like that. Now, if you work at a really great workplace, <laughs> that conversation can be very difficult because people generally don't want to rock the boat if yes. your workplace is yeah. awesome. So the conversation there is usually, our workplace is awesome. We need some way to make sure that that doesn't go away. That stays awesome. That stays awesome. Because it's important to remind people that it, if it's not part of basic labor law and it's being given to you, it can be taken away and nothing can be done. Right? Yeah. There's nothing in the world that can get that back for you if you don't have it written into some form of legal agreement. Mm -hmm. So if you are getting paid double time for overtime, for example, very rare, probably never happens, but let's say you have a boss that's giving you double time for every hour of overtime you do, awesome, great workplace. But if you come to rely on that in any way in your life and it's not signed into a collective agreement, it could disappear. No notice, nothing, and nothing can be done because you were being given something above the law. Yeah. Right? And the laws here are pretty shit. And the laws here are pretty shit. So if you're getting something above the law, they can take it back down to the law, and the law is garbage. Yeah. So a lot of workplaces do go above the law, and that's great, but it's also because the law is garbage. Yeah. But when times get tight or shit hits the fan, they're going to go right back down to the basement of that law, and it doesn't work. Um, if you're in, like, kind of a shitty workplace <laughs> or like in a workplace where things are not working uh, or you're having a lot of toxicity or there's a lot of abuse, possibly even violence, um, then uh, that tends to be a much more uh, uh, aggressive conversation because people are going to want that stuff solved right away. Mm -hmm. And so getting in contact with uh, union representatives and looking for legal options to end suffering right now while you move towards unionization also helps to build a lot of trust and stability with you and, and your coworkers. Because, you know, unionization can take a long time. We've been at this for three years. Yeah. But the industry hasn't gone, gotten worse in three years. In fact, a number of things have gotten better. And it's simply because lawsuits have been filed. You know, employment standard branch complaints have been filed. They see the posters everywhere. Mm -hmm. They we go to the we go to the media and podcasts like talk yeah. about these things. And so now there are many studios who are paying their legally required overtime pay. But they're not doing it because they want to. It's they're not, not doing it because the they're being heart, good. Yeah. They're doing it because they know if they don't Another union is going to file another third-party complaint with employment standards, and they're going to be found liable. And this goes back, like, 30 years, right? Like, they're on the hook for a lot of money. Yeah. And so being able to move forward with solving some of those problems early on, even if you are not unionized yet, goes a very long way to showing that you are actually a stabilizing force in the industry.
right? This is what ABAS has been able to do is to say like, look, we don't even have a collective agreement yet. We haven't even unionized yet. And they're paying you overtime because they're so scared of us. Yeah. Right? Like, look, That's we awesome. have we have some posters, a website, we have quarterly town halls, we have a like we have like they know that they're we're here. They don't know how many we are, and they don't know exactly what we're doing. Right? But we like look at how scary we are with just like a handful of things, right? Yeah. And so if we can get them to do their minimum legal obligation by putting up some posters and some websites and just staying consistent for three years and, you know, filing employment standards complaints when they need to be filed, then, like, imagine what we can build if we're actually working together. Yeah. Imagine what we can build when we actually have a collective agreement, right? Like, it's so exciting. Yeah. And I really hope, oh, union, <laughs> ASAP, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no worries. So I'm passionate. sorry, like, it's it, the advice, unfortunately, for unionizing your workplace is going to change yeah. wildly from place to place. And so I want people to just kind of audit where they are and then move yeah. forward in a logical manner and that, you know, after that, right? I think it's a good it's a good starting point though, just finding out if your issues are this shared yeah, exactly. by someone else. Because then you know and then you can also like feel better yeah. about yourself. Like, yeah. oh I'm not just complaining, it isn't just me. Yeah. There's something wrong. Exactly. And it can be good for just your own mental health exactly. in general. I do have and going from there. I do have a very strange piece of advice for activists okay. that doesn't tend to come up. Uh, if you're an activist, it kind of behooves you to study human psychology. Because oh, yeah. you're going to end up kind of being a, a, a if you're constantly talking to people about their problems and trying to help them with their issues as a labor activist, in a way, you're kind of also managing a lot of emotional labor and you're managing a lot of, you know, uh, uh, people's day-to-day -day issues. And so understanding, you know, that and learning how to distance yourself and, and create a, a, a nice, um, being able to compartmentalize, you know, yeah. the emotions that can sometimes swirl around. And then also to understand why people behave the way they do or why they might react in a certain way. You know, why people might suddenly be really warm and into unionization and then suddenly cold the next day. Mm -hmm. And also to understand your own emotional, you know, processes through, um, uh, you know, activism is difficult right it's constant yeah. oh, stress yeah. it's constant conflict so to to you know spend a little bit of time on your own psychology and really kind of understand what that means yeah obviously psychology there's good things about it and bad things about it but even just kind of dipping your toe into some of the the ideas that people do things for certain reasons yeah. helps a lot yeah that's that's actually yeah. really good advice i think yeah kind of going through that with my therapist right now yeah <laughs> like how do i not feel everyone's feelings i know and the best person to ask is a therapist yeah. because they're going to be facing people's feelings every single Constantly. day so taking some of their strategies and understanding the the theory that is beneath them helps a lot because we don't in activism we don't talk a lot about how traumatizing it is to be an activist yeah um because a lot of times you're feeling very helpless you feel extremely bad and people are suffering and you see them suffering all the time and sometimes their suffering is chronic and constant and it kind of becomes a little bit background noise 
But oftentimes it goes into these crisis modes. Yeah. And when they are in crisis mode, that's when you really need those therapy tools. Like you need those psychology tools because it can cause you to make a lot of really bad mistakes as an activist because you'll feel this sudden pressure. Yeah. You'll feel this sudden need to do something. Like fix it. Fix it. And it could very much be a very bad decision. And so it takes a little bit of time to, to help people calm down from crisis mode and calm yourself down from crisis mode, take a deep breath and move forward with the strategy that has been laid out. It can be really hard to tell what is a crisis that will pass and what is a crisis that is going to destroy us. Yeah. 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 Just like slow down and think yeah. about it. Yeah. 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 Which, like, which is tough. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough because I think, you know, we ha all have kind of a lot of stress and anxiety and uh, that can cause us to really not have good proportions on different things, right? Like sometimes they'll feel really big and sometimes they'll feel really small and it's not necessarily a reality, right? Yeah. When you kind of step back and look at it. Yeah. So I apologize for taking up extra time. No, it's been, it's been um, so <laughs> awesome talking to you. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Um, Thank you so much for asking me such yeah. wonderful questions. Yeah, good. I'm glad. Is yeah. there anywhere that people can reach out to you? Absolutely. Uh, so artbabbitsociety.com. Yeah. I'll definitely uh, like link that in the yeah, show notes. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, if you are an animation worker uh, and you need to talk to a union uh, representative or you need legal help or you need just want to know more about unions, you can email us at info at artbabbitsociety.com. Um, if you want to just get involved, we have a Discord um, cool. that can be found through our website. And if uh, anyone in the industry wants to come and talk face-to-face, -face, we're having a town hall on October 2nd. Um, that is industry-wide town hall. And then a Titmouse town hall on October 10th for workers at the uh, Titmouse studio. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the best ways to get in contact with us. But honestly, anything where it says contact us, just, we'll, just someone will answer. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, just hit that. we'll be there. All right, awesome. <laughs> Everything that we just mentioned at the end there, including how to get in touch with Anise, will be linked in the show notes of this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. You can follow the show on Twitter at EveryEconomics, but that isn't overly active. Next year, I'll be picking it up a bit more, so you can find me at Talia Murdoch. If you want to support the show, please rate and review on iTunes, and you can also find us on patreon.com slash cavegoblins, where we have weekly content and monthly content for anyone who subscribes for $1. Thank you again. Be kind to each other. I am Talia Murdoch, and this has been Everything Economics. I was told that once, Frost Cricket was a humble prefect of the Celestial City. But when Wanderlust whispered her name, she left to travel the Earth on foot. Her journeys inspired many stories, and those stories inspired other stories. Some idiot wrote them all down, and ever since, fools have been telling and retelling the tales of Frost Cricket. Hear them all on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.